Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words, create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. This is the 24th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that may be quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that levels the playing field and helps everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. I am beyond jazzed for my guest today. Way back when we were both at Deloitte Consulting, he was barely out of college. His time there set him up for the Harvard Business School, which unleashed his entrepreneurial spirit and passion to serve society. He's a seasoned investor, entrepreneur, and restaurateur. His start in restaurants was co-founding World Wraps, which he sold after growing it to 26 stores. He's chairman and founder of Resmex Group, which operates several Bay Area restaurants and co-owner and developer of an 18th century palace and event space in Barcelona. In 1999, he founded the first U.S.-Mexico cross-border VC firm, Brainstorm Ventures, and has backed some of the most exciting startups in Silicon Valley and Mexico City, including Zappos and OpenTable. Supporting the social sector, he's managing partner of Pacific Community Management, a growth equity impact investment firm, and also served on the board of Silicon Valley Community Foundation, a $13 billion philanthropic organization. Whew. So it is a, <laughs> an honor and a joy to welcome my friend and fireball, Eduardo Raglio. Eduardo, what a treat to welcome you to our voices. Thank you for having me, Molly. It's such a, a treat and such a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, and number 24 is a, it's a lucky number for me. So I'm excited to, to, to know that I'm the 24th uh, participant in your series. That's fantastic. Well, one of the reasons I'm particularly excited is I actually don't have great insight into the start in your life, how you grew up as a kid. And, you know, we reconnected just a few years back. So I can't wait to, to fill in the blanks and how you've lit the world on fire. Uh, so please, without further ado, take us back to the beginning and give listeners a chance mm -hmm. uh, to get to know you. Well, thank you. Um, it's, um, you know, I grew up in a town called Cuernavaca, which is about 45 minute drive from Mexico City. And it's a town where most of the population, it's a, a weekend population because it's a lot of people from Mexico City that have homes there that utilize only on the weekend. So quite honestly, because of it, there were good, good things and bad things. And the good things was that the, the permanent population was small enough that, that you would get to pretty much know everybody. But also there was enough infrastructure and fun things to do that it made it quite interesting during weekends and so on. So uh, honestly, as I go back to my memories of childhood, they're, they're quite positive because uh, the freedom that we had, I, I had a, a Vespa since I was like 12 years old. You met me at the Lloyd and Tush with a Vespa as well. Yes, so I never yes. let, I never, I never let the Vespa go, but, uh, but just like, you know, like a completely different thing in terms of how I think now in terms of how I behave with my kids and 
you know, tracking them and when they're back and at what time and all that type of stuff. You know, I would I would leave early from my house and we'll be back nine ten o'clock and my parents would would not be worried about where I was. No, so in that regards, I think it was um, I, I have incredible memories. Uh, we had horses, so we had kind of that natural side of of, of uh, being able to to get out and and enjoy the nature as well. Uh, but it was definitely clear to me that at some point I needed to move out of Cuernavaca. It did feel like it was a place that I loved and I really loved my childhood there. But it did feel that that I needed to to get out at some point to expand my, my possibilities and my opportunities. My, my dad uh, was a re- refugee from when my dad left Spain during the, the during the Civil War in Spain. And it's a pretty, you know, dramatic story about about someone that had to take off and leave everything behind and uh, uh, be a refugee in France for a number of years until he was able to get to Morocco to take the boat to Mexico. So obviously that marked my dad in terms of a personality of someone that was incredibly resourceful, but very non uh, pro risk. So very not an entrepreneur. My mom was an incredibly different character where um, she came from an entrepreneurial family that that um, her her grandfather had invented one of the first uh, powder milk, milk uh, uh, um, uh, which we call it food for kids and um, and it was just someone that was uh, very exposed and so on so I think I had kind of like the combination of, of, of the two because they both had studied in the states and it was very clear to me that the States was kind of the next step. So even though at that time it wasn't that common for a younger kid to be thinking about college in the States, I was very much uh, driven that that was what I was going to do. And somehow I did appreciate kind of my mom's background related to entrepreneurship a lot more. So uh, I did do a tremendous amount of little businesses as a kid. I used to go to the States quite often and I would bring uh, suitcases of candies because we didn't have American candies in Mexico at that time. And the stickers uh, from Hallmark that, that I, they would sell him, you know, four sheets a pack and I would sell them for like 10 times that, that in Mexico and so on. So I did have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit selling cakes and door to door and candies door to door and, and so on. But it, I was definitely a kid that was anxious. You know, it was, I, was, I was always trying to come up with um, ideas in terms of how to do things a little bit different and at the same time find ways to, to open opportunities for me uh, and 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 knowing that at some point I wanted to get out. So interestingly enough, one time I overheard a friend of my mom's talking about business school, and I was probably about nine or ten years old. And I I it it kind of stuck in my mind. And a few months later, I asked my mom what was business school, and she said, "What well, you know?" She told me a little bit about you know what she thought it was. And and despite the fact that my pa- my parents were exposed people. It, it was not the same that that you know the type of of understanding like you know, that that we have right now related to so many options that my parents did not know about. Um, so um, so at the end, I ended up learning what was the best business school in the United States. I learned Harvard was the the the, the one of the best ones, and I actually was able to get an application when I was 10 or 11 years old to read the application and kind of understand what is, how do you need to look like to be able to go to a school like that? 
And uh, so it's interesting because it was one little conversation and an anxiety of, of, of personality, of feeling like, like I needed to, to find opportunities and open up other, other worlds uh, to myself, supported by parents that were, as I said, educated in the United States, which wasn't that common at that time, and that you know, always gave us the support we needed. But, uh, but yeah, you know, like it was before internet. So it was like the whole process of applying for college, all those, all those different things was a lot more uh, difficult to do and to understand what you needed to do and so on. But somehow I did manage, I only applied for undergrad. I only applied to San Diego, UC San Diego, uh, as uh, I just felt that uh, I had a, a very close friend of ours that I called my grandmother in, 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 uh, in, in San Diego. And I thought it would be kind of a, a comfort thing to at least know someone close to me while I, while I got to college. But I did arrive when I was 17 to San Diego. I really did not know absolutely anybody and, uh, except for, for Eileen and uh, was very thrilled to arrive into an environment that was a little scary. I would tell you like they were, I remember watching Animal House and a number of, of, of movies uh, about what to expect uh, getting into college in the United States. And I remember clearly trying to figure out what would be my outfit for the first day so that I would, people would not notice me, you know, so that I, I, just, I, I needed to somehow uh, understand kind of the lay of the land before I made any sort of, of statement in terms of who I was or who I wanted to be in the States. Um, but anyway, um, at the end, I feel lucky because again, I did have parents that despite the fact that they not necessarily know exactly what had to be done, they always encourage um, both me and my brother to, to go out and to you know, find um, opportunities. And despite the fact that they would have preferred f- for us to stay close to them, they really did know that it was the right thing for, for us to do. And, and at the end, you know, absolutely always, you know, never second guess kind of our, our decisions. It was not easy because, you know, in that, in that time, you know, the dollar was strong against the peso. So, you know, going to college in the United States was probably 10 times what it would be in Mexico or probably even more. So um, I knew that I would have to adjust to a certain lifestyle that I was probably not, not, not used to. Yet I also was very thrilled to understand that in the United States, uh, kids my age, 18, uh, 17, 18, could work, which in Mexico it was very rare at that time. So, um, so I, I quickly uh, decided that I needed to make sure that my experience in college was a combination of um, academics, which I knew were going to be important if I wanted to get to business school later on, and also uh, being able to get involved and truly try to figure out what this American experience was going to be like. Uh, so I, I ended up getting involved in student government. I opened a student-run coffee house that was kind of that spot to go in college. I did end up going to a fraternity, which I thought I would never do it because I was scared of, of the idea. And I actually have a tremendous amount of fantastic friends from it. Um, I just didn't know exactly what to expect, yet I knew it was going to be fun, interesting, and challenging. Oh, we have to pause here. Un- Believable. So how could you be so precocious, 10, 11 years old, reading the application for Harvard Business School? I mean, come on. That's that's got to be the only one. You've got to be the only one who was that <laughs> early on. And and God bless your parents for 
their support on it. I I I can now see you Hallmark stickers, candies, and coming back, setting it. What did you set up a stand? Did you go door to door? Like seriously, how did you run your early so, business? So yeah, I was very fortunate to have uh, three best friends that would always um, uh, hear my crazy ideas and support my crazy ideas. So we decided that we were going to become official candy vendors, and we did this. Um, these plaques that were supposed to be official plaques of of selling candy. I don't know what you know why I thought that it was necessary to show credibility that I was official. <laughs> uh, so we created that, and then yeah, we would go door to door. We found ways to get into the school and uh, and and outside of the school and in different places, and then in the in the club that that we would go for swimming, we would sell them. And so you know, but honestly, it was it was it was a, a very successful business because there were not that many options then and so it was very sought after so i i learned dynamic pricing as well because depending on my supply i would change the pricing as well so there was a lot of different things that that taught me through that but honestly yeah i had uh, three friends that were really always like okay you know this is the idea what do you think and we, we did christmas bazaars we did all sorts of things and uh, just to earn money to be able to to fund our our adventures and then mm-hmm. um, yeah so that uh, that's kind of it i love it so how talk about your relationship with money as a kid like what did it signify to you yeah um, that's an interesting question um I definitely was always someone that um, was, I'm a generous person. At the same time, I always was very careful not to waste. And I think that's the difference. I've always enjoyed experiences, but I was careful about waste. And so I did know that I needed to save because I knew that what my dreams were were going to be potentially more than what my parents at that time could pay. And so I was very conscious on how to make sure that I had fun, yet that I uh, saved in order to be able to uh, uh, wait and, and, and have the monies to be able to uh, afford some of the experiences that, that I wanted to. So, you know, money was interesting. Again, it was so interesting to watch my dad because my dad was very conservative with money because of what he had gone through in his life. And my mom was less. So I always had kind of this conflict of, of watching both with very different profiles. Um, but um, I also was very, it, it was a, an important discipline to me to know that I needed to make sure that I had enough to be able to make my dreams come true. So fabulous. How about your brother? Is he wired similarly? Total opposite? You know, it's in, very interesting because my brother and I are potential complete opposites and in many things were identical. And so it's interesting because my brother was not uh, in like so strong on, on the business side, like in terms of merchant as I was, but he was you know, honestly, I, I don't know many people that are honestly as smart as he is. He's uh, he has photographic memory. His math skills are tremendous and so on. So the way he would make money was about, you know, giving classes to, um, to kids, his grade and so on uh, that, 
did not do well as math or needed some help in, in other topics and so on. So Tony um, ended up being uh, very successful in, in, um, in the part of, of um, engineering, technology, uh, but more more on the less on the business side and more on the on the inside of how things work and then ended up shifting into business later in his life yeah. but uh, but I think he's he's very different than me he's an adventurous person he he studied oceanography he moved to France to study with Jacques Cousteau and the deep dives with with uh, sharks and and crazy things but very different than me Oh my God! I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau and study marine biology, but the 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 did salary really? was so. I did. I totally wanted to be Jacques, and then I went to the library and I looked in the books, and the chemical engineers made twice what the oceanography marine biology people Same. made. I said, "Well, I can't afford it." <laughs> See, well, my, my my brother was interesting because he did study it, and then he went to to Marseille. And then uh, he ended up having an accident uh, where he could not dive anymore. And then that's when he shifted to technology. And then he was the head of marketing at, at Apple Europe. And then his, his career took a, a different spin. But it was interesting that, you know, he was absolutely dedicated to that. And Tony was different because Tony honestly was someone that never really cared about money. Like Tony, like it was just like if it happened, happened. If it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Yet a very driven person but uh, in a different way that I, that I was. That's so fabulous. That's so crazy. Okay. So um, if, I do have to say the starting the student run coffee house. So here you are, were there a lot of international students at UCSD? So, so there was, you know, actually when I came in, I was lucky that I, uh, the first day of my, of my chemistry class, uh, which was one of the common core classes of uh, 300 student um, uh, class, the, the guy who ended up uh, arriving late and sat next to me, asked me a question. I noticed he had an accent. I asked him where he was from, and he was from Mexico, too. And uh, he, he ended up uh, knowing a, a group of international students that literally the first week that I got there, I got to, I got to know. And so it was interesting because I did have a very diverse group of friends. I ended up having kind of that group of my international friends. And then um, as I started getting into student government, into the fraternity, into that, I had kind of my other incredibly different, you know, profiles. But I, I did feel, and that's actually one of the things that I, I, I do recommend my kids to do as they're in college, is just like, just make sure that you end up surrounding yourself with different experiences and different people because you know we we have so much to learn from from everybody but at the same time it's very easy sometimes to surround yourselves by just the exact same profile that makes you feel safe and so sometimes you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone and i really really did try to make sure that if i was going to be in the states and i needed to live kind of like the the american experience no so i really went uh, you know, very to extremes to make sure that I was going to have kind of that American experience, okay. American college experience. What did you end up majoring in, by the way? I did economics and political science. Okay, I could have guessed that. So, and so did you think about going straight to HBS or you, you said, nope, we got to work some and then go in? 
So actually, I think that the part that you might not know is that I did apply to business school from college mm. and I, get, I did get accepted, but I got accepted with a deferred admission because I didn't have enough work experience. The only work experience I had was working and I worked full time during, during college. And they, so they sent me a list of all the places that they would consider you know, potentially hiring me. And I really wanted to go to San Francisco because some of my, because of that, of the UC system, so many kids from the Bay area go to San Diego to be far from their parents. You know what I mean? And so yeah. there was a huge group from, from the Bay area. So I, I, I came to San Francisco many times for Thanksgiving and things like that with, with friends and their families. And I fell in love with this city. And so my goal was to come back, to come and work in San Francisco. So, one of the companies that was listed was it was it was uh, Touche Ross yes. because I actually I actually was the first employee of the Lloyd and Touche after the merger. I, my first day of work was the first day of the merger. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm proud to say that I'm uh, I'm uh, the first San Francisco the Lloyd and Touche employee. Uh, but anyway, so yes, so I ended up here because I was able to get that that opportunity to work here for the two years before going to business school. And it was nice because of the fact that obviously I knew where I was going. And at the same time, it was such a tremendous experience. And, you know, I was just telling someone that you know, it's it's so interesting that of the group that we all work together. It's so nice that so many of us are still in touch. And it was just such a wonderful group of, of hardworking, smart people that it was also a very important part of my, of my, uh, of my memories before, before going into business school. Yeah, I echo that. Those were really great times. Like, that was just it was a fun group, fun. wasn't it? It's super fun. Yeah. It was really super fun. You can go on and on about that. We won't bore listeners with that. Yeah, so, I, I know. Do, do you remember coming from into that whole work environment? You know, it's a consulting firm, so it's, you know, it's a little more formal. I'm just curious if it was what you expected coming out of college. No, you know what? Honestly, that's actually what I will tell you was probably one of my most fearful moments. <laughs> Um, much more than getting into college. Eh? It was, you know, like now I knew what consulting was. Now I knew all these different things. And, but at the same time, I had never in my life made a consultant. And so I didn't know exactly what to, what to expect. And it sounded so formal and so serious. Uh, and so long story short, believe it or not, I remember that, you know, one of my first projects, they tell me, oh, can you run a spreadsheet? And I had never used, my, I, I had never used Excel in my life. Uh, so I'm like, yes, I can. And sure enough, I, I spent, you know, three nights without sleeping to try to learn quickly how to make sure that I did spreadsheets and how did I learn Excel, you know, incredibly fast. But I was not going to say I don't know how to do it. I was I was I needed to make sure that I would learn and I would learn fast. So um, it was intimidating. It was it was one of those moments that it felt like it was an amazing opportunity to be an adult, yet I wasn't sure I felt in that moment that I had all of the skill sets that I that that I thought they thought I had. You know what I mean? Uh. So it was an, an insecure moment, but it was fortunately I I, uh, I figured it out. Oh, so are so this not sleeping for three nights? How did you do in general? 
Eduardo, just with a balance of your own health, mental health, physical health, eating well, did you do well at that? Did you, were you way to one side? Do you feel like you're good at it now? Yeah, you know what? I think that is probably one of the, my, my best skills. I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly organized. And the one thing that I do have is a lot of discipline in relation to balance. And so I'm, I'm, I will schedule, and it would not be the same times, but I will work out every single day. I'll schedule time to, to read the newspaper every day. So I, I do really work well in terms of uh, making sure that I, I have a routine that is flexible, but I have a routine no matter where I'm, or where I'm at. And I think that now that I, that I spend time in different time zones and in different cities, it's a critical piece of what, what I think keeps me kind of my, my sanity. And during that time, it's interesting because I do tell friends that what was very interesting is, you know, I was, I was very social and I, I really enjoyed my group of friends also from the learning tools, but also from, from, from outside. A lot of the, these kids that had been in San Diego had returned to San Francisco. And I remember that as we would go into these long um, uh, projects, uh, that was when we had answer machines. We still didn't have cell phones. And I remember, you know, coming back on a Saturday and, you know, the first week, weeks you had like 24 messages, no? And you were like so excited, all these plans and so on. And then three months later, I had 11 messages. And then uh, another four weeks, there were four messages because nobody would count that you were around, no? And so it did take more effort to make sure that you like, you know, call people ahead and whatever, whatever. But I do, I am so someone that for me balancing life and balancing time with my friends it's it's really important to me very 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 important and obviously now with with, with my family is the same thing and so I do believe that that's a critical thing to find balance is just knowing how to say no to certain things and then and then to have a balance but at the same time discipline to be able to you figure out a way to fit things in yeah, I love it. I hope listeners are taking copious notes because this is a huge thing. We own the balance of our lives and basically how you spend your time is your most important decision. And uh, I really um, admire how you own that, Eduardo. So um, flash through HBS for us. Uh, I hear there was a very interesting, interesting reunion that happened at HBS that changed your life forever. And, um, and I can't wait to hear about founding the company. So, um, so Harvard was an incredible experience as well. Obviously, that was you know something that I, as you as you heard earlier, it was something that I had worked out, I worked so hard to get to, and so you know obviously getting there was incredibly um, you know like a dream come true, but also you know just being around so many people from so many different places with so much experience in some different areas, it was really just a, an amazing experience. Um, through that, by the way, I did um, also my second year in business school. I also started a business at Harvard. It was called Harvard Printing and Distribution. And we had the exclusive on the distribution on everything that all communication that, that, that had to happen from outside vendors or, or recruiters to the mailboxes for the students. And so that was a great way to pay my second year of, of, of business school, by the way. <laughs> that was wow. great. But, but uh but um, uh, Harvard, it's a place where obviously there's so much and sometimes you take for granted 
all the wonderful resources that are there. And so, you know, like I sometimes do think, I wish I went to more of the, of the uh, uh, presentations that, you know, like ex-presidents and prime ministers and, you know, so many things. But, you know, when, when you're there, sometimes there's so much that sometimes you're like, okay, if I miss this one, it's okay. No, now, now I regret some of those, by the way. But with that said, um, as we were going through it, I did uh, go back to the idea that San Francisco was definitely the place that I saw myself, you know, come back to and i did love boston but i the weather definitely made it easier to decide okay i need to go back to, to the bay area so during our second year um, my three best friends and i went to this trip to just come up with a concept that felt that it was going to be a way to uh, come come together and work in a project together and come back to San Francisco. And so uh, we ended up coming up with a number of different ideas, but the one that felt that made the most sense was the idea to create the wrap. And the wrap was basically uh, in, uh, making uh, the, uh, the concept of Burritos International and create a wrap that was not going to be necessarily the typical tortilla, and but that it was a way to make international food portable. And uh, crazy lucky, fortunately, that that it, it worked. Uh, since we opened our first store in San Francisco, we had lines out the door that um, helped us get great venture capital partners that that help us fund and, and aggressively grow, grow and i will tell you it was definitely 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 one of the highlights of of, of my life in terms of um uh, being fresh out of school with your three best friends and your wife working on something that you really believe in, uh, touching a lot of lives because I think we all uh, had the same philosophy about caring about the employees and giving medical benefits and a lot of different things that was not common in the restaurant industry at that time. But um, but at the same time, you know, some hard decisions that we had all decided that obviously none of us were going to be the ones that were going to stop the growth of, of the of the company and that we would in, in moments where we felt that there were uh, better um, people to run uh, the organization that was going to be what we were going to do. It ended up being that we ended up selling it uh, because it was an, an opportunity that that it was potentially one of the hardest things I've ever done, by the way, because it's one of those moments where you feel things are good, things are happy. It feels that it is the right thing, but it's also your baby. Mm. But at the same time, when you become an entrepreneur, you need to learn that your baby requires um, different stages, you know, from primary, kindergarten, primary, and and going to college. And so that was the going to college part that we had to make the decision on. And, uh, but anyway, it did give me, give me an opportunity. You know, it was, it was times, you know, we honestly were working 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. every single day with the people that we love. So it didn't feel like work, but we were working tremendously hard. And um and then at the end, um, we it gave us an opportunity to change paths. I, I had had the opportunity to see uh, the venture capital partners that we had and, and kind of like, you know what, that, sound, that looks kind of cool. Like you're able to be part of a number of different companies and you don't have the day-to-day -day responsibility, but you can be part of contributing and whatever. So also it looks easier than it is, but obviously from the outside, everything, everything looks better. And so that's when we jumped into that decision, Keith and I, which was one of my business partners too, 
um, to do this fund called Brainstorm. And, and through that, uh, we were you know, quite lucky that you know, our first investment was Open Table. Through Open Table, Tony, uh, which was a founder of Sapos, was another board member and investor. We met him, we invested in him. Then we did a bunch of technology transfers to, to Mexico where Kio Networks was the, 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 best, the first unicorn in Mexico uh, in, in tech. And wow. um, so, so a little bit of luck, a little bit of, of, of resources and, and you know, a lot of, of hard work. But you know, timing, as you know, is also you know, very important. And so, um, so anyway, that was also just a fun you know, thing to have had experience and, and, and be in that time in, in the Bay Area where, you know, by the way, Molly, the, some of the best parties that I've ever went to were during that time related to like the launch parties that all these, these companies were doing. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I tell my, my, my kids, it's just, it was just surreal. You know, the Cirque du Soleil came to one of them and Devo in another one. It was just like this crazy moment in San Francisco uh, history, you know. But it was nice to be here. It was nice to be part of part of this. And at the same time, you know, you learn how to not to take anything too serious. And because you saw a lot of stuff come and go from different people that you would know. So just appreciating it and, and then, you know, hoping that uh, that you were going to uh, be uh, responsible enough, smart enough to learn how to diversify and how to do the right things. But at the same time, continue trying to make an impact and trying to continue, you know, being able to support people. And I think at the end, what I what I love the most of what I do is that it's about helping put people ideas and people together and, and support, uh, you know, those those ideas to, to become entities. No? And uh, and this is an amazing environment where we're at. And, and right now, you know, through COVID and all that, we just realized that now uh, it's great in the regards that I think there's a lot more other places that have developed enough critical mass where there's it's not only the Bay Area that has been the hub of, of so much entrepreneurship, but it really is a wonderful place to be uh, when you when you're doing this. Yeah. Eduardo, as you're on your entrepreneurial journey, what what do you what did you learn about your own self? Hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a, a very good question. So interestingly enough, right at that moment when I mentioned to you kind of like the hard decision about okay, you know, is this a, a time to sell or not and so on, I did had kind of an early midlife crisis and my early midlife crisis was <laughs> a little bit more about that but what like okay who do I, do I want to be and how do I make sure that I develop the path to continue it and I believe that in life you do have to have a plan but you do have to have flexibility so Sylvia and I ended up coming up with a 10-year plan and our 10-year plan was how could we together develop the the goals of what we wanted to accomplish personally and professionally as a couple you know support one another you know making sure that we were both going to be you know satisfied and and how we were going to create that the family that we that we wanted to create but at the same time how we would create the path where we would have the flexibility to do what we do what we liked to do well at it and at the same time potentially have the flexibility to help expose our kids to different experiences. And we definitely wanted our kids to live in different places. So it was an interesting moment for me because I did realize that I had to decide if I wanted to be 
a day-to-day founder entrepreneur or or if which requires certain commitment or if not then i needed to decide kind of how my business model of my own person had to be to be able to help me have kind of the options that i'm describing to you and so for me it was clear that i wanted the kids to live in New York for a little bit because I thought New York was the next thing about like the closest to living abroad, but still living in the United States. <laughs> and then, and then from there jump to live abroad. And at that time, the idea was to spend one year in New York, one year in Paris. And that changed with, I and mean, it ended up being three years in, in New York. And I would have been seven years in Barcelona, me going back and forth. But, um, but it was, you know, the learning about, the balance, you know, like what are the, the trade-offs that you need to make? And, and you know what, you know, we have restaurants here in San Francisco as well, but that we did later uh, as we miss kind of like that industry and Sylvia missed um, the idea of having a place where we could uh, highlight our Mexican cuisine. But uh, I know that if I'm here day to day, I could potentially maximize my, my businesses even more. But the sacrifice that it, w- that it would be, it would be um, um, losing the opportunity to have the experiences that I personally wanted to do for myself as a couple and as a family. And so, you know, learning how to do those trade-offs and learning how to empower your teams and how to create the, the right infrastructure in the business so that you have that flexibility. And uh, so it's, it's, it's something that was all developed by design. And I think kind of like the roles that I ended up taking was with the idea of me focusing on the things that I was good at yet did not need me on a day-to-day basis. But it was an interesting process because obviously at the beginning, you cannot really do that. You have to be, but I needed to make sure that I had a goal on how I was going to take the steps to get to that point. And yes, unfortunately, I've been able to. You, well, it's no surprise. What amazing intentionality, um, the ability to look, you know, inside, but to take that step back and to just own the trade-offs and make it work for you. And that's that's a make it work. Talk about the grit. Um, Eduardo, just I know you reunited with Sylvia at uh, Harvard. Talk about relationship, you know, working so closely at work in the family and just, you know, how have you made that work? And it, when I talk to you, it always seems like it's so flowing, but it can't be that smooth. So just share with us how you folks have made that work. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting because so Sylvia and I knew each other since we were kids and we had not seen each other for about 12 years. And then we remet at Harvard. And uh, interestingly enough, um, the day that I found out that Sylvia was coming to Boston was the first day that I arrived there for my summer internship uh, between my first and second year. And she was leaving the next day. So we agreed that we would uh, uh, reconnect when we saw each other, when we came back in, in Boston in fall. And I ended up meeting someone, you know, soon after. So when I got back to Boston, I was in a relationship, which, uh, and so Sylvia and I ended up seeing each other in the, um, in the Mexican Independence Day party for the, in the embassy, which was September 15th. And I think that was actually very lucky that it all happened this way, because I think the way Sylvia and I got to know each other was as friends, and we got to really develop a friendship. 
that it was a, a very genuine and and transparent friendship with no positioning, no nothing. No. So when um, when I broke up and Sylvia, uh, uh, I, later on she also was in a relationship. And when we both broke up. And right after, before graduation, we were like crazy close, but nothing had ever, 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 ever happened. And uh, right before we were, Sylvia was taking off for six months to travel. And then I was going back to my, to, to, uh, to Mexico and the, and the Bay Area. And I said uh, anything. We went dancing with Keith, with my, my co-partner and friend, and you know, Keith. And, uh, and he asked me that day, hey, say, you know what? I think there's something going on between you guys. I'm like, there's absolutely nothing going on. Don't even put it in my mind because it's just that it really confused me. It's like, she's going, I'm going, whatever. And that night, Sylvia doesn't drink. Sylvia had two yellow shots. And so we're dancing and next thing you know, we kiss. No? So very awkward from friends to having kiss was right before she was leaving. It was like, okay, what do we do about this? And we're like, you know what? Go travel, go have fun for the six months. I'm going to do my thing. Let's not be committed to one another whatsoever. Do your thing. I'll do my thing. And when you come back, we'll figure it out. So she came back in uh, January and then we ended up getting engaged in, in May. So a few months later, because it was already kind of like um, we realized that there was just so many different things in common. And we saw I twine so much. We have such similar roots and at the same time, so many similar interests. But I do think that one of the things that worked well for us was always having been such good friends. And I think that continues to be part of our relationship is we enjoy our relationship as as as, as couple, but we have a lot of fun together. And so I think that that that, that is a big difference. Sylvia started working with me at Harvard uh, during Harvard Printing and Distribution. So it was funny because she saw me one time lose my cool and she said, oh, my God. God, who's going to marry this guy? <laughs> and, I keep, and, I, and, I, and after that, she tells that story all the time. And she's like, and then, you know, I forgot about it. And then I ended up not only marrying him, but then working, continue working with him. And it's funny because when we arrived here and we were doing world wraps, uh, we made a conscious decision that she should not be working close to me. She should be, you know, she was reporting to Keith. Uh, instead of working close to me. So that way it was like, you know, easier in terms of that. And you know what, honestly, it worked out fantastically well. And then with the restaurants and so on, we have learned to divide and conquer. She has the responsibilities of food development, concept development, all that. And I do more, more of the business side. So despite the fact that we worked every day together, we don't, um, we're not on top of, of, the, of each other's business, you know? And so, I think it, it's it's been easy to um, to be able to to manage it. Um, there's definitely moments that we do get upset, and she's an expert at bringing, uh, you know, the, the hardest conversations. And what in the morning when it's not when I'm functioning, and then and then I'm the one that brings it up and say in the morning when she's when is when she's not functioning. So we have had some of those discussions, no? But um, but again, I think we've always uh, had agreed that the way that we would run our businesses was to make sure that we had an opportunity to make sure that we were present parents. And uh, and so despite the fact that we're lucky to have had two amazing, amazing nannies that, you know, one of them was with us from the moment my kids were 
born to when we left and then the other one has been with us since we arrived to New York and is still with us in, in Barcelona, which have become like really uh, stable figures in our household in terms of, of day to day. But but we are such involved parents, uh, despite the fact that we that we both have kind of all these responsibilities. Uh, they're definitely our priority. Uh, so what's the joy for you in parenting? I mean, I know I mean, all parents, but, you know, when you talk about your kids, you light up. So talk about being a parent versus the leader and entrepreneur. Well, I'll tell you that it's most likely the hardest job that I think anybody can do. Eh? And because you do think that uh, you can use one method for all and it's not the case. You know, it's it's a, it's a custom a plan for each kid. And so... Uh, so it's interesting because, you know, Emiliano, which is my eldest, and my kids are a year and a month apart and then a year and a day apart. And so they're very close in age, which is wonderful because the three of them are also very close um, and a lot of uh, common friends. But there, if I had to come up with three more distinct personalities, it would not be possible. If there was, if There's absolutely no way that they can be more different. So you do realize how different of a parent you have to be with each and how each one can take feedback. And so as an example, the other day, I probably made um, a mistake that I think he has forgiven me. Mm-hmm. But um, Sa- Santiago thinks very much like me. He's definitely going to be an entrepreneur. He's into now he's into longevity and looking into venture and a number of different things. And so obviously I think he, he listens to, to me quite a bit or has seen kind of my, my, my ecosystem and the things that I'm interested in and somehow relates to it. Emiliano is an incredibly creative person. He works for EA and, uh, full-time while he's in college full-time. Um, and he's incredibly good at what he does. And honestly, his, his ability to create content and, and, and it's, just, it's just really amazing to me because it's, not, it's very different from the skills that I have. No? And, and I, since they were kids, I would take him to a lot of the companies that we would invest in and, and or friends that, that own businesses because I wanted them to see what it was to be an entrepreneur and the stories of, of like how people end up becoming entrepreneurs. No? So literally about a month or a month and a half ago, I mentioned that to Emiliano and Emiliano goes, that. That's not necessarily true. Like I actually absolutely believe that I might be an I might be an entrepreneur at some point in my life. It's just that right now I'm focused on what I'm doing today and I love it so much that I'm not thinking about tomorrow, you know, or like I'm just enjoying what I'm doing right now. And again, he's someone that is so different from what you gather from this conversation in terms of I'm, I believe that I need to, I need to be, to be open to, and I I believe I'm open, but I'm planned. And so it's, it's so interesting how, you know, like you, you believe that you already know your kids so well that you already kind of like can guess what they're going to do. You can't. So the best thing that you can always do is exposure, no? So what I always do is expose, 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 expose in, in adventures, in travel, in all those different things. And at the, at the end, it's the best gift in terms of how you can spend your money or your time because obviously it's just these adventures that create memories together, no? So that's been the big thing for us. It's always been we do three trips a year 
that are incredible. And we always try to go overboard in terms of trips that will be mem- memorable to them. And uh, and I think that will continue to be what I the, the way that I, I believe, I'm, I, I hope they they'd never hear this, but that I'm gonna bribe them in terms of when they're married is they're not gonna be able to say no to a trip because of the fact that I'm gonna make sure that it's gonna be so fun that they cannot say no to it so that we continue to spending these amazing trips together. But um, but it is it is it is interesting. It's 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 difficult, and and in different stages. I think right now that I'm I'm becoming an empty nester. It's probably the hardest time for me, quite honestly, Molly, because um, you you don't see them day to day. You're proud of the stories that you hear, but you worry so much more about them. And so uh, I need to to learn how to worry less. Well, this is the worrying thing is, is, and I appreciate it because it comes from a place of love and it, it does take energy. So in your incredible discipline, the idea of worrying, like, how does it serve you? Think, well, why do you worry? Right. 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 And and think, well, why do I worry? Because it does serve you because you do it. And um, answering that can be helpful. And then realizing that. No, it's a good point. Yeah, you you have you have you tend to have. I think you have endless energy. I don't. I, I can't even imagine you being tired. Do you ever get tired? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do have that advantage. I will tell you that it's funny because Sylvia would be on my on my back all the time about like you don't sleep enough, whatever, whatever. So I just got that the aura aura ring yeah. that tracks your your sleep. And I am so happy because I was able to prove to her that with much less sleep than she has, I go to to deep sleep and REM much faster and more efficient. So I don't need as much sleep, fortunately. So now I feel good that I don't have to be explaining it all the time. It's like, it's a fact. It's a fact. I got it. So, uh, so, so no, but, but, it, but it is, I, I, it's funny though, but it is, you, you made a, an incredibly good point. And Emiliano also at some point told us that, you know, if we say that you're worried, you create insecurity in them. So you can't, you know, you have to, you know, make sure that they, but it's just, it's just your normal, you know, way of, of yeah, to your point, in a way, it's, it's that, that show of love, but at the same time, it, you have to be careful that it doesn't um, uh, wear you out. Yeah, but yeah, even though you have endless energy. I will t- say one thing about the fact that you sleep so well. And, you know, I think that what it strikes me as, Eduardo, is you're, you're just so dialed into who you are. And so you don't have these inner unknown tensions that you're wrestling with. Well, how should I act? And did I do the right thing? And did I do the best? And I think when you're really Zen and you're doing what you think is right to the best of your ability, there isn't that internal disconnect. And within you can really sleep well. And I think it's really it says a lot that you don't need a lot of sleep and you get very quality sleep. I mean, that's super awesome for you because of what you get done, but I just want to give you kudos. But, for but that. you know what? No, thank you. And, and I think it might be part of it, but I, you know, another thing that I think also I learned, I don't know, at some moment on one of the financial crises that happened, I ended up realizing that I have the capacity to solve problems and I will solve the problem of the day. And to learn how to not overstress about imagining what that problem is going to be tomorrow and just be willing to solve it when it shows up. You know what I mean? And so 
It, it was a change of mindset, by the way, eh? because there was, it was interesting how at that moment I definitely was not sleeping well because of a lot of stuff related to thinking what could happen with businesses and so on. And then when I kind of switched that, that mode and said, you know what, I, I know that I have the ability to solve problems. As they come, I'll solve them. I learned learn how to, how to, how to uh, let that go. And the other thing that I recommend tremendously is making lists. So before I go to bed all night, every night, I make sure that I reviewed my, my to-dos, like the most important, and then I, I write everything else that I know it was spending. So that way I, I don't have to remember or to be thinking about what I have to do because I know I have them in writing for the next morning. And that makes me relax a lot. That's a huge tip. I hope everyone's jotted that one down because I'm going to tell you, I used to do that and fell out of the habit. And I am now adding it back to my list because it's so crucial. Okay, we could go on forever. This is so fabulous. So uh, let me just ask two more questions. If you think about you know, all the stuff that you'd share, you've shared, what's your top takeaway from, from our little conversation? Hi, that's, <laughs> well, I think what, what I always said in terms of, of you know, I, I, I do like to be, I mentor a number of, of entrepreneurs and, and young people that, and it's funny because I do absolutely, when I see that there's someone that has drive and that has dreams, I do my best to go out of my way to help them, by the way. And I'm in a situation because of the fact that the businesses that I'm in are people intensive. I'm lucky to be exposed to a lot of really great, great people. Um, what I what I always say is that you definitely, it's important to always have dreams and shoot high. And I think there's so many times where we are our worst enemies because we're the ones that um, not allow us to potentially fulfill dreams or shoot as high as we as we can. And even if you fail, failures are not necessarily bad things. You know, like it's funny because now when I hire or when I invest in certain entrepreneurs, if they have not had one bad story, I ask more questions about it because I'm not sure they know how to handle uncertainty. Learning how to handle uncertainty in life is tremendously important. And I think that's something that I learned early on because even just growing up in a country where the, the, your, your, your money would be devaluated uh, from one day to the other, that level of uncertainty allows you to, to learn how to cope with it and not intimidate you. And so I think it's learning how to live with uncertainty, take opportunities, and at the same time have dreams that can have different paths. I'm not saying be so strict that you're not flexible. I think it's critical. Oh, I love it. Wise words. Quickly for us, what was it like for you to share your journey today? Well, it's actually interesting because, you know, sometimes when you're going through this and when you talk about it, you, you like you realize certain things that you even had forgotten about what your history is or what you, you've done or why you have done things. No, So it's always good to, to remember some of the things that, that motivate you, how, how to make sure that you appreciate and how to make sure that at the same time, you don't get lost in, in, the, in the path, you know? And so many times kind of going through this process of, of like kind of understanding how 
things come together, it's also a good exercise to just make sure that you're conscious about the effort that you still need to put on to continue, you know, being able to to succeed in whatever your next thing is. And, and it might be, you know, very simple things, but it is just, you know, that discipline to have these checkpoints where you're 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 seeing, you know, is there something that I'm that I still missing to do? And you know, I didn't touch base on on the impact investment and Silicon Valley and all that. I do think it's an incredibly Silicon Valley Community Foundation. It's an incredible uh, thing to never forget that when when you have a, a privilege, when you're in a, in a in a in a place where you have had the, the parents that have helped you with education, the love, the support, the family, and so on, you do have a duty to give back. And uh, and that's something that, you know, privilege has responsibility. And so, you know, remembering that responsibility part is also key. I love it. You are a rocket ship, Eduardo. So grounded. Uh, I love it. Grateful for all you've shared, how you're making the world a better place. I'm cheering for you. I'm happy to help you anyway, my friend. So I want to thank you thank for being you so much. part of the solution. You're helping all of us. That was fun. Thank you. And her. Thank you very much. You take good care. I send you a huge hug and yeah. I hope to see you soon. Eh? Yeah, very, very soon. You take care. Okay, Be folks. My, thank my, you. My thought for the week with privilege comes responsibility and that's a wrap thank you for tuning in please be part of the solution and kindly share this show amplify eduardo's voice reflect on your own top takeaways and know i'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 